Let's take our Bibles and open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Our text is just two verses today, 11 and 12, but you won't get out before noon. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. Who knows? Maybe we will. Title of the message this morning, A Call to Godly Living. I know that it's improper to use phrases or sentences that end with a preposition. But I'm going to do that in our outline today because it really captures the meaning of each point that Paul's making to Timothy in these two verses. So if you look around and see English teachers cringing or grammarians shaking their heads, you'll know why. Ending a sentence with a preposition is just something that they're going to have to forgive me for. <laughs> you caught that. Very good. The points, what to flee from, what to follow after, what to fight for, and what to be faithful to. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereinto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Let's just start with the address that Paul gives to Timothy here. Two words at the very beginning of the verse, but thou, and then, O man of God. But thou, those two words are used by Paul seven times in the pastoral epistles. They are pointing out that there should be a distinct difference between Paul, uh, Timothy and Titus how they are to live in comparison with others. Why? Because a godly believer is going to live a different kind of a life than an ungodly believer. It seems an oxymoron to call someone an ungodly believer, but unfortunately it's very true today. But genuine faith will affect the way that you live. It will affect what you think, what you say, what you do, uh, as Paul wrote, old things are passed away, all things have become new. So genuine faith affects the way you live. Take, let's take a, look, a quick look at those seven times that Paul uses those words, but thou, in the text. Sometimes there's a word in between those two words, but in the, in the pastoral epistles, we've already seen 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou, there's our word, sude, but be thou an example of the believers, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul's saying, don't give anyone any reason to discount what you have to say because of your age. We mentioned before, Paul is probably around 60 years old at the time of this writing, and Timothy is probably around 30. But be thou an example in these six areas. Set an example before the church people. Be so different in your life that others notice you have a genuine faith. That they, you know that they, they will listen to the preaching, not because of the, of the age of the messenger, but because of the content of the message. The next reference is found in our text today, 1 Timothy 6.11, But thou, O man of God. And the contra uh, contrast in this verse is with those men that he's just written about, who are obviously in the ministry for selfish gain. They think, in verse 5, that gain is godliness, that this is what they're in the ministry for. 
And then we'll see it again in 2 Timothy uh, four times in, in the, the, epistle, the second epistle of Paul to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So, but thou, you should be a partaker. Some saw that Paul was in prison. They distanced themselves from him. They wouldn't want to be associated with him. And Timothy, Paul says, be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel with me. Share in this. Rejoice in the fact that you can suffer for the name of Christ. Don't go and don't, backing away from the gospel because of opposition. And then in 2 Timothy 3.10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what perse persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Although those who had a form of godliness, but denied its power in that context. And Paul says, Timothy, you be different. You, you've watched me. You've fully known how I've lived for Christ. Timothy knew that Paul really lived what he preached when he and Barnabas were driven out of Antioch in Pisidia on the first missionary journey. They came to Iconium. There the city was divided. The Jews wanted to kill Paul. And so Paul and Barnabas escaped to Lystra. The mob from Iconium followed him to Derby and Lystra. And that was where Timothy lived. That was his hometown. So he knew what was going on. He knew Paul was genuine because he witnessed his stand for Christ in spite of persecution. Then in 2 Timothy 3.14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So some had stopped living for Christ. They used to come to church. They used to follow Christ. And now they're not anywhere to be found. And so Paul is saying, But you... Timothy, continue living in what you've learned. Then the last in the, in the letters to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Some had stopped serving Christ when the going got a little tough. But thou, Timothy, you, you need to keep going. You need to keep giving out the gospel. Prove that God has called you to this ministry. And then once in Titus, Titus 2.1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Here Paul is telling Titus some people are preaching a false doctrine, their own lies. But he's saying, Titus, you preach the truth. So we see, but thou at the beginning. The difference is seen in the contrast to, to others who are not following Christ the way that they should, but thou. And we can apply that, I think, in our own lives. You look around and you see there's so many that have drifted away from living for Christ. But what about you? But thou. The difference is also seen in this new relationship. Timothy is called a man of God. These words, I can imagine as Timothy read them, that they were an encouragement to him. He would have sensed the continuity of God's work throughout the, all the Old Testament. As men of old, godly leaders were called men of God. Moses, David, Samuel, Elijah and Elisha, all called men of God. He would have known that this included 
communicating the word of God and the will of God as he stood before the church there in Ephesus. He would have realized that this title was in the work of God, doing what he was doing for the glory of God. It, it said all of that. And there should be that relationship, again, that we all face, that we all sense as children of God. The word for man here is, is anthropos. It, it's really uh, generic. It's, it's mankind. Whereas if Paul had used another word, on air, it would have been a male, a specific man. And so the choice of words, I believe, indicates that there's an open application for everyone this morning. You can say, am I a, a man of God? Am I a woman of God? If someone at work or at church doesn't know your name, this happens often, and people try to describe someone, um, what would they say about you? What characteristics define you? Often we, we identify someone, probably most often, with, by their appearance. They're tall or short, skinny or not. Or we identify them with the work that they do. Oh, he's an engineer. Oh, she's the, the doctor. Uh, they run the flower shop. Yeah. Or you may have some personality trait in mind that makes them distinctly different. You know, he's the guy that always complains. <laughs> or she's the one who's always smiling. Wouldn't you love to hear, overhear someone describe you as a person who's godly? Oh yeah, you mean that guy that's takes his break and reads his Bible? Oh, you mean that lady that says a prayer before her lunch every day? Uh, that, that person that always has that gospel track in their pocket, have they invited you to come to church? And they, they, Wouldn't it be great to be known as a man or a woman of God? Has there been a genuine change in your life that makes you distinctly different and identifies you as a servant of Christ? Now we come to the four imperatives, and this is the bulk of our, the, these are the main points. What to flee from? What are the things that the, the man or woman of God should flee from, from? It says flee these things. And I think he's talking about the covetousness that we've just read about. Look at verse 10 again. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, they have planed away from the position they should have, and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The right response uh, to covetousness is to flee these things, to run from these things, to have nothing to do with them. We teach our children how to, where the exit signs are in buildings. So if there's in, in case of fire or in case of, of something that is going on in the building and you need to exit to, to get out of there, to run from uh, dangerous situations. The Bible tells us about them, some things that we're to run from. These are warnings. And we need to have it in our minds that as soon as I face this, I'm getting out. I'm running. Paul uses the same word flee three other times he says, flee youthful lusts. He says, flee fornication. And he says, flee from idolatry. Uh, some things that we face in life, we need to be ready to run from. 
Here are the dangerous things. Um, covetousness, if, if we go to Colossians 3.5, and it's, it says there that covetousness, which is idolatry, and so if we talk about greed and covetousness, wanting things that money will buy, materialism, if we say that that's idolatry, as that verse says, then we can really uh, consolidate all of the things that we're to run from in two classifications, idolatry and immorality. Don't stand there and, and say, well, I just want to find out more about this. Flee these things. If you're going to live a godly life, you will flee from these things. Don't just stand and see how strong you are against the temptations. Run. Be like Joseph. Leave your coat behind if you have to, but get out. Take action. Flee these things. Not just for Timothy, but for all who would be godly. Secondly, what to follow after. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. The word follow means to pursue with the intent of overtaking. It's really interesting to find out how a word's used in the scriptures and how it's translated in other places. This word for follow is found over 30 times where it's translated persecute. You say, well, why would that be? Well, to persecute a Christian like the Apostle Paul when he was still Saul, he was finding, he was chasing down Christians. And so there's this pursuit with the intent of overtaking. Ten times it's used for follow, translated follow. In Philippians 3.14, Paul uses it. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's that pressing for the mark. It's pursuing with the intent of obtaining something. And so what are the things that Paul is telling Timothy to pursue with the intent of grasping, of gaining. I think we can see in these six things that they come in three pairs. Other commentators have, have looked at that. Uh, commentaries, you read on them and they'll say there are three pairs of two. Wearsby defines, um, the first is righteousness and godliness. Warren Wearsby defines righteousness as personal integrity. That is a particular word here, personal integrity, righteousness. And he defines godliness as practical piety. We might say righteousness is being right in your relationship with others, and godliness is being right in your relationship toward God. There's a balance between these two words, righteousness and godliness. If you always focus on being right with people, you'll become a people pleaser. You want that relationship to be okay, but you might... Forget about your relationship with God. And you'll fall into this legalistic lifestyle of keeping standards that people have set up for you. However, if you focus on your relationship with God and ignore people in ministry, you'll fall into this monastic sort of lifestyle. And you'll have no contact, no influence, no impact on anyone around you. And so be right with God, be right with others. Two important words. Pursue these things, righteousness and godliness. The second set, a pair, is faith and love. Pursue faith and love. Faith is, is confident trust in God. Do you have that in your life? 
When you look back on your last week, can you see God's hand at work in your life? And do you say, what you do is always right, and I can trust you? Do you trust him with things that are going on in your life right now? And then this faith is also a firm stand, holding on to the, to the tenets of faith. Are you pursuing your faith? Are you studying the scriptures? Are you you're living a life of obedience, striving to serve him with, with all that you have? Faith. And then love. Biblical love is, is not an emotion that you feel, but it's a decision that you make. It's a commitment. We're to choose to love God. We're to choose to have a genuine compassion for others. And Jesus said, if you have that love for God and love for your neighbor, you've fulfilled the law and the prophets, Matthew twenty-two forty. So pursue faith and love. Pursue patience and meekness, the final set. Patience is, is remaining steadfast in adversity, enduring without giving up. And then meekness. That's a word that means kindness or gentleness. Do you pursue that? Or do you say, no, that, that appears weak to me. We're to, to endure with the right attitude. It's not just a, a stoic toughness that I'm going to survive no matter what. We make up our minds to. But it's a patient, steadfast endurance while exhibiting kindness and gentleness. For Timothy, Paul says, pursue these things. These things are absolutely necessary if you're going to be a minister in the gospel. Paul said, follow after these things. They are, they are necessary in your life. They're just as necessary in our lives. Are we pursuing these kinds of things? Our minds are so flooded with media, with ideas, with philosophies, Let's get back to focusing on words like we find here that we're to pursue, to live, characteristics, what to, what to follow after. We come to the next, what to fight for. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Now the word in Greek is an interesting word, it's agonizomai, and it sounds a lot like what fighting is. It's an agony, it's a strenuous fight. The verb form here implies that we are to continue fighting. Most of us like to, okay, I had that battle, I'm done, I'm, I'm just going to sit back for a while. And that's when you lose. Continue fighting. We're in a real spiritual warfare today. And unfortunately, there are many Christians who are not interested in fighting battles. They even look down at those who are fundamentalists and call them fighting fundamentalists. Fundamentalism is an adherence to the major doctrines of the scriptures. These doctrines are fundamental. They are truths for which, if you look through church history, men have fought and given their lives to protect. I was reading again yesterday about Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. They were burned at the stake for saying that a person can be saved by putting their faith in Jesus Christ alone. The Roman Catholic Church taught that you can have true faith, but still not be justified. There are other things that needed to be added to that. And under Henry VIII, many were martyred because of their belief that you could be saved by faith alone. There are five solas of the Reformation. You've heard them. Sola Scriptura. 
sola Christa, sola fide, sola gratia, and soli Deo Gloria. Salvation is not earned. It's not, forgiveness is not dispensed by man. Salvation is found solely in the scriptures. Read it. It tells you how to be saved. You don't need someone else. You don't need a church that will, that will explain it for you. It's clear in the scripture. Salvation is found in Christ alone. It's appropriated by faith alone. And it's imparted by grace alone. And it's always for the glory of God alone. Ridley and Latimer were led together to be burned at the stake. Latimer was 80 years old. And he cried out, as the torch was put to the pile of wood at his feet, be of good courage, Brother Ridley, and play the man, for we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. The flame was strongest under Latimer, and he welcomed it with his arms as he died. Ridley suffered longer for the flames to reach him. Both received the rewards promised in Revelation 2.10 when Jesus said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. I'm afraid some Christians today, if we look across the landscape of Christianity, at least in America, would rather be pacifists, would rather be conscientious objectors as far as getting into a fight, this good fight of faith. This is not a fight between believers. This is a battle against sin, against our enemy. It's a spiritual warfare. Why would Jesus tell us in Ephesians 6.10, or Paul write, put on the armor of God? Why would he explain all the pieces of the armor if it were not intended for us to put on and to stand for Christ? We're in a battle. This battle is called a good fight. The good word here means noble or excellent. The fight is good because the cause is good. It's just. It's a fight that we need to be involved in. There are good fights like that. This is also called the fight of faith. And there's a definite article, the the word the, in the original language, in front of faith. So it's the good fight of the faith. It's talking about the entire body of Christian truth the doctrines of scripture. Let's stand firm against the attacks of the enemy who attack the doctrinal truths of the scriptures. Fight the good fight of faith. What to fight for. The last, what to be faithful to. Second half of verse 12, lay hold on eternal life. It would have been nice if there was an F word there, but it's lay hold and so we'll say be faithful to. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Lay hold of eternal life. The word means to grasp it firmly. Now, Timothy has already been saved. Paul is not saying to him, hang on and you might make it. Uh, he's already professed this good profession. And so he says... Lay hold on eternal life. It's a reminder not to get sidetracked. Live with with your salvation in mind, eternity in view. 
think one of the passages that demonstrates what it means to lay hold of eternal life is found in Philippians 3.10 and following. Paul writes, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain, okay, that's laying hold of, that I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, lay hold on, same word, that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Lay hold of eternal life. Interestingly, it says that we're to lay hold on the very thing that we're called to. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called. So God has called us to live faithfully the, the life that he set before us. Lay hold of that salvation. Settle the doubts. I love verses like 1 John 5.13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus, or the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Lay hold on eternal life because God has called you to eternal life. How firm is your grip on salvation? I'm glad my eternal destiny isn't dependent on how tightly I can grip salvation, my faith. It only depends on the promises of God, and those are firm. But we're warned to lay hold of eternal life. Don't let go of all that God has done for you. Mark Twain, whose real name was Samuel Clements, married a Christian lady by the name of Olivia Langdon. She at first didn't want to marry him, but later did. He at first went through the motions of religion with her, but later said he couldn't keep up with the hypocrisy. In time, she came to a place where she no longer believed in a personal God. And then when she was going to a, through a time of, of, of deep grief, Twain said to his wife, if your Christian faith will comfort you, go back to it. And she said, I have none. It's a tragic unfaithfulness that we see all too often that causes us to doubt that there was ever a salvation experience in the first place. And come back to say again, genuine faith will change the way you live. It will change everything about you. This is to be your outward testimony. Paul writes, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. And so we have here a profession. We, we profess that with our mouths, with our words. People are listening to those. And words are important. Matthew 12 says, how can ye be evil, speak good things, for out of the abundance of the, mouth, uh, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It says later in that passage that we'll be judged by the words that we use because it comes from the heart. And so by your words, by your good profession, and then also by your life, before many witnesses, there are always people watching. 
And they watch your life very closely after you say what you've said with your lips. And they want to make sure that it matches. And so here are some things that we need to determine to do. Determine to give a solid testimony and live a, a consistent life for Jesus Christ. Is your life different? Let others know that you're a man of God or a woman of God. Live so that there's no doubt. Flee from the things that used to enslave you. Follow after the things that God has told you to pursue. It's not rocket science. It's easy enough for a child to understand. Flee and follow. Fight the good fight of faith. Be faithful to hold on to the promises of eternal life. Let your testimony be as solid as it can be, as it is, as you share it vocally and live it consistently and faithfully in front of others. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for how simple the truths of Scripture are. And I pray that as we've just looked at some of these thoughts this morning, some of the things that you, through Paul, told Timothy, that we would make the right application in our own lives. That we wouldn't say, well, this is just for those who are ministers or servants in churches. All believers need to take these to heart. And so I pray that you will do a work of, of your Holy Spirit's work and grace in our hearts, that we would live up to the calling that you've called us to. And I pray that today, if there's someone here who does not know Christ as Savior, that they'll talk to someone and say, I need to be saved, that they'll make that decision. And if there are other struggles that we're making, I pray that we'll keep our eyes on Jesus, that we'll keep our, our focus on the book and read it, and with your Spirit's help, understand it and obey it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.